Welcome to Music History Monday for May 22nd, 2023. I'm Bob Greenberg, and the title for today's podcast is Giuseppe Verdi and the Requiem for Alessandro Manzoni. If you haven't already, please consider joining me on my subscription site at patreon.com slash Robert Greenberg Music, where I blog, vlog, podcast, pontificate, review, and bloviate four to six times a week. We mark the first performance on May 22nd, 1874, 149 years ago today, of Giuseppe Verdi's Requiem, written in the memory of the Italian novelist, poet, and patriot, Alessandro Manzoni, 1785-1872. Background. In June of 1870, the 57-year-old Giuseppe Verdi, 1813-1901, agreed to compose an opera for the brand-new Cairo Opera Theatre, the Khedive Ishmael Pasha of Egypt personally handled the negotiations as the opera was to celebrate nothing less than the opening of the Suez Canal. No expense was spared, either on the opera or on Verdi, who received the unheard of commissioning fee of 150,000 gold francs, roughly $1,935,000 today. The opera, Aida, received its premiere in Cairo on December 24th, 1871. With no disrespect intended towards either the Khedive Ishmael Pasha of Egypt or the Cairo Opera Theater, the opera's real premiere, as far as Verdi and the larger opera world were concerned, took place six weeks later at La Scala in Milan, on February 8, 1872. That Italian premiere was a triumph, the greatest of Verdi's career to date. He himself received 32 curtain calls. The only contemporary Italian artist who could possibly be considered as beloved as Giuseppe Verdi was the novelist and poet Alessandro Manzoni again, 1785 to 1883. Manzoni's most famous work is a novel entitled I Promessi Sposi, The Betrothed, which was written initially between 1821 and 1827. Manzoni completed the final definitive version in 1842. Manzoni wrote this final version in what was and still is considered the stylistically superior Italian dialect of Tuscany. This final Tuscan version of The Betrothed had a pivotal impact on the development of a consistent Italian language prose style. At a time when the Italian peninsula boasted more dialects than varieties of pasta, Manzoni, more than any other single person, helped to popularize a single ideal way of writing and speaking Italian based on the dialect of Tuscany. The importance of this cannot be overstated. 
at a time when Italian nationalism sought the creation of a single unified Italian nation with a single national identity, Manzoni's work offered his nation a single universally understood Italian language. Manzoni came to be perceived, rightly, as not just the greatest Italian writer of his generation, but as a great Italian patriot as well. What Verdi did for his nascent Italian nation through the medium of opera, so Manzoni accomplished through the medium of literature. He inspired a national Italian identity through its oh-so-special language. Giuseppe Verdi considered Manzoni to be a living saint, a man who combined astonishing talent with great personal virtue and nobility. Manzoni died at the age of 88 on May 22, 1873. The following day, Verdi wrote to his friend and publisher, Tito Ricordi, quote, I am profoundly saddened by the death of our great man, but I shall not go to Milan, for I do not have the heart to attend his funeral. I will soon come to visit his grave, alone and unseen, and perhaps, after further reflection, having weighed my strength, to propose something to honor his memory." Unquote. A Requiem Ten days after Manzoni's death, Verdi did indeed go to the cemetery in Milan, where he stood at Manzoni's grave and formulated a plan. He returned to his suite at the Grand Hotel de Milan and wrote another letter to his publisher, Tito Ricordi, proposing that he compose a requiem mass for Manzoni to be performed on the first anniversary of his death. Verdi's intention was to write a work that, following its first performance, would be performed not in churches, but rather in concert halls, with each such performance offering a proper memorial to the memory of Manzoni. For his contemporaries, the idea of the unapologetically agnostic Giuseppe Verdi writing a Catholic requiem seemed about as likely as Beethoven authoring a book on hairstyling, or Jeffrey Dahmer a vegetarian cookbook, or Yoda a tome on English usage. Verdi was a godless apostate, and he made no secret of it. His wife, Giuseppina Straponi, 1815 to 1897, yes, Giuseppe and Giuseppina, how sweet, was for herself in continual despair over the state of her husband's soul. Scarcely a year before he began his requiem, she wrote a friend, quote, and yet this pirate permits himself to be, I won't say an atheist, but certainly not much of a believer, and that with an obstinacy and a calm that makes you want to thrash him. I go on talking to him about the wonders of the heavens, the earth, the sea, etc. He laughs in my face, in the midst of my burst of utterly divine enthusiasm, saying, You are mad. And most galling, he says it in good faith. Unquote. 
Please, this is not to say that Verdi didn't observe a strict moral code, because he did, but it was a code of his own making. After Verdi died, Arrigo Boito, 1842-1918, who was Verdi's librettist for his last two operas, Otello and Falstaff, wrote of Verdi that, quote, in the ideal moral and social sense, he was a great Christian, but one must be very careful not to depict him as a Catholic in the narrowly theological sense of the world. Nothing could be further from the truth, unquote. Whether or not Verdi should be judged as having been a good Christian, we leave to higher authorities, although we suspect that the church authorities in Milan would have answered to the negative based on the scoring of Verdi's Requiem. That's because from the beginning Verdi insisted that his Requiem receive its premiere in a church, claiming that to do so in a concert hall would reduce the occasion to a mere concert rather than a proper memorial to Manzoni. But Verdi intended his Requiem to be a concert work that would then be performed in concert halls, and as such, he scored it for four vocal soloists, two women and two men, mixed chorus, men and women, and full orchestra at a time when the religious authorities in Milan were adamantly against allowing women to sing in church. Regarding the location of the premiere, <laughs> well, Verdi got his way. Knowing how tough and immovable Giuseppe Verdi could be, this comes as no surprise. The church authorities in Milan were no match for the combined forces of Giuseppe Verdi and the memory of Alessandro Manzoni. Verdi's Requiem Mass received its premiere at the Church of San Marco in Milan on May 22nd, 1874, on the first anniversary of Manzoni's death 149 years ago today. The total complement of singers and instrumentalists numbered over 200. Verdi conducted the performance before an invited audience of Italian and foreign VIPs. On May 25, 1874, three days after that first performance at the Church of San Marco, the Requiem was introduced to the public at the famed Milanese Opera House, La Scala, again with Verdi conducting. And while a few critics carped that the Requiem was too theatric, the vast majority of critics and audience members embraced it for the epic masterwork that it is. For himself, Verdi saw his Requiem for Manzoni as a validating composition his first genuine concert work in an otherwise entirely theatrical career, and he felt that having composed it, he should finally be treated like a real composer of real music. He wrote, quote, With the Requiem, I am no longer a clown serving the audience, beating on a huge drum and shouting, Come on! Come on! Step right up! Unquote. Verdi's Requiem, Structure and Expressive Content Verdi's Requiem sets the same time-honored Latin text 
as almost every other such requiem mass written during the previous 400 years, including those by Wolfgang Mozart, Luigi Carabini, and Hector Berlioz, works with which Verdi was familiar. By definition and tradition, a requiem is an extended musical prayer for the dead. However, Verdi's requiem is a prayer for the living. The brilliance and the violence of its music and its immediate and visceral appeal to the listener's emotions, as opposed to the listener's spirituality, assure that the piece is more humanist than religious. This is why some critics called it too theatrical. What they were really saying was that it was too operatic and too secular. Well, too bad. Verdi's message was that the dead are dead, and as such, they don't need our prayers. Rather, we need our prayers, and we, the living, should pray for ourselves. The musical evidence that supports this most humanistic interpretation of the Requiem is Verdi's own gut-wrenching, soul-searing, and soul-inspiring music, completely and utterly different from any other setting of the Requiem liturgy. Verdi did indeed approach the traditional Requiem text as if it were an opera libretto, and the results are stunning. Of the 13 separate texts associated with the Requiem Mass that Verdi might have set to music, he chose to set eight of them, which he combined into seven movements. The first movement, exquisite and prayerful, combines the introit, or introduction, and the Kyrie eleison, Lord, have mercy. The second movement, Dies Irae, the Day of Wrath, that follows is shocking for its violence, especially so after the comparatively quiet introit and Kyrie that precede it. The text of the Dies Irae is a terrifying description of the Judgment Day, a text written during the 13th century by Thomas of Seleno, who was a friend of St. Francis of Assisi. Verdi's spectacular setting remains the most terrifying depiction of the Last Judgment in the repertoire. It also constitutes the longest single movement in his Requiem, running about 38 minutes in performance. Movements three, four, five, and six, the Offertory, Offering of the Bread and Wine at the Eucharist, the Sanctus, Holy, 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 the Agnus Dei, Lamb of God, and Lux Eterna, Eternal Light, respectively, are relatively ecclesiastic in tone. With the seventh and final movement, Libera Me, Deliver Me, Verdi's Requiem returns to the dramatic, operatic, and supremely humanistic world of the Dies Irae. The Libera Me itself consists of four verses of text. In addition to these four verses, Verdi reprises material from the Dies Irae and the first movement introit and Kyrie, a reprise that has nothing to do with tradition and everything to do with compositional structure. 
Verdi sets the fourth and final verse of the Libera May as a fugue. Now, this is an old device employing a fugue with its successive voice entries as a metaphor for the upraised voices of humanity, with each new voice part joining the collective until all of humankind is united as one. Johann Sebastian Bach did this all over the place. Handel did it in Messiah's Hallelujah Chorus. Beethoven did it in the Ode to Joy of his Ninth Symphony, and so forth. And here Verdi does it as well, and it is thrilling. When you go and listen to Verdi's Requiem after having heard this podcast, as you must, please be aware of the supremely human, supremely moving conclusion of the Requiem, during which the solo soprano and the chorus repeat in a pleading whisper, Libera me, deliver me. There can be no dry eyes during that conclusion. Popular success and a papal proscription. Verdi's Requiem to Manzoni, which quickly came to be known simply as Verdi's Requiem, was a smash hit wherever it was performed. Verdi toured Europe with it, conducting it in London's Royal Albert Hall with a complement of 1,600 singers. He conducted it in Paris and in Vienna at the newly opened Imperial Opera House. While various church persons continued to grumble about the sacrilege perpetrated by Verdi's Requiem with its women and its performances in theaters, the church didn't officially weigh in on the subject until 1903, two years after Verdi's death. In the encyclical Motu Proprio, issued by Pope Pius X, Verdi's Requiem was rejected completely as Catholic religious music. The encyclical reads in small part, quote, The theatrical style, which was in the greatest vogue, especially in Italy during the last century, is by its very nature diametrically opposed to Gregorian chant and classic polyphony, the most important laws of all good sacred music. Music must be only part of the religious literature and its humble handmaid." Yeah, notice how Pope Pius X waited until Verdi was dead before issuing the encyclical. We just know that had Verdi still been alive, he would have raised holy hell in reaction to it. Had Verdi, bless him, still been alive at the time of the encyclical, his righteous ire aside, we'd tell him not to take it too personally. Pope Pius X, born Giuseppe Sarto, 1835 to 1914, was a reactionary conservative who, among his many proscriptions, declared that dancing the tango was immoral and thus forbidden to Catholics. <laughs> a lot of good that did. Posterity has made its own judgment of Verdi's Requiem that along with Louis van Beethoven's Missa Solemnis, Hector Berlioz's Requiem, 
and Johannes Brahms's German Requiem, Verdi's stands as the most brilliant and important piece of religious music composed in the 19th century. Thank you. To sample and download one or all of my many courses on subjects musical produced by The Great Courses slash The Teaching Company, please visit my website at robertgreenbergmusic.com.